Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed the perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond, another edition of From the Diamond from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you for what has been a very eventful week for the Braves and, of course, across Major League Baseball. And our plan is to get to all of it here on the show. Before we get started, I want to remind you, you can find me on Twitter, really on social media, at Grant McCauley, wherever you want to search and find and follow and all that good stuff. We'd appreciate that. You can find Corey at Corey J. McCartney. You can also find From the Diamond on Twitter at from the diamond with an underscore on the end and on Instagram at from the diamond, no underscore on the end. And of course, make sure you're following sports radio, 92, nine, the game at 92, nine, the game, Corey, a very pleasant, happy Sunday to you. Glad to have you here. Glad to be jumping back into what I feel like is going to be a great couple of hours of Braves and baseball talk because the Atlanta Braves don't look now, but they are on a winning streak through the weekend, and they're starting to look a little bit more like the defending World Series champs. Hey, nothing helps an offense look more like it's supposed to than a trip out to Colorado, although I will preface that by saying we saw some weird uh, pitching domination Bizarre. for a couple of games, too, out there in, in the Rockies, but uh, certainly Austin Riley looking fantastic, mm-hmm. so a lot to get into uh, here with an offense, as you mentioned, a little bit more uh, along the lines of what we expected to see from this Braves crew. Yeah, certainly so. And let's jump into it with this week in Braves baseball. That's how we like to start the show each and every week. And we'll kind of key in on what's been going right on this road trip. And you certainly would not look at the first couple of games and say, hey, things in Arizona went the way the Braves wanted and or needed them to go. They lost a couple of baseball games. The opener, yeah, you can look at that and say, okay, well, the Arizona Diamondbacks were the better team on that day. The second game, though, Not so much. The Braves losing a game in which Matt Olson went off, as a matter of fact, and unable to grab a series win after getting the finale, salvaging that finale, but then moving on to Colorado where they did break out the bats in a big-time way in the Thursday opener. They won a couple of extra inning games. I didn't know if I'd be able to say that in 2022, but, Corey, we've talked time and time again, whether it's here, whether it's on battery power, or anywhere else we talk about the Atlanta Braves, it feels like, is this the win or wins or is the streak that's going to get their mojo back and get them feeling like the club that they were at the close of 2021? 29 games of teams with teams that are, you know records that are below 500. Right. This was going to be the opportunity for this team to wake up. I mean, for lack of a better term, uh, we've seen that in Colorado, and I, and it wasn't just the offense. I mean, the offense has had a lot of great moments, but I don't know that you can say enough about what we saw out of Max Fried on Friday night. I mean, this yeah. was in terms of Braves pitching at Coors Field, um, this was an all-time kind of performance from him. I ran these numbers that night that he is one of three uh, starts there by a Braves pitcher that has gone at least eight innings with one run or less allowed. It's been done three times, two of them by Tom Glavin, so some ridiculous company yeah. there for Max Freed. And you mentioned the, the extra innings, the weirdness of seeing multiple games with that low scores going into extra innings in Coors Field. 
Um, you know, I don't know that anyone, especially after what they went through with the Marlins, that you would have ex- expected mm-hmm. that at all out of this team. I thought that pitching staff would have just been so beaten up and depleted by that point. But um, kudos to the Rockies. They got some good starts to start off this series. But um, I don't know that enough can be said about what this run has meant for a Braves team that's been able to get uh, that first you know, three-game streak, get up yep. to four, get back to 500. Yep. So a lot of goodness has come out of this stretch for sure. Yeah, and that Max Fried start was unique in so many different ways. You mentioned the company he is as far as Braves pitchers having success of an eight-inning stint out in Coors Field with one or fewer earned runs. But how about two or fewer hits, eight innings or more in Colorado? That's the first time that had happened since Clayton Kershaw in 2014. Wow. And, of course, the Braves and Rockies going in and playing an extra inning game scoreless in that second contest, that was only the second time in 27 years in the history of that ballpark, Coors Field, that there had been a scoreless game to go to extra innings. And, of course, we had to play with the Manfred man, the ghost runner, whatever you want to call him. And it worked out for the Braves. And that has not really been the case this year. Atlanta entered uh, extra innings in that first contest, 0 for 4 on the year. The Rockies were 3-0 and in extras, and the Braves flipped the script on them. They were able to get the runs they needed and win an extra inning game to go up 2-0 in the series. And then come back 24 hours later and do it again, Corey. That starts to feel like a little more reminiscent of what I like to call the DNA of this club and the ability of this team to overcome, to come back, and to grab wins, not just, hey, we're down, the other team scored first, and that's going to be another long night for the Atlanta Braves. That really felt like the exact opposite of what we've come to know and expect from the Braves during their four-year run of winning division titles and, of course, winning a World Series. If it's been frustrating for the people sitting at home watching this lineup that has seven different players that have either an all-star or a silver slugger on their resume, imagine how frustrating it is for the guys that are wondering, what is the difference between us you know, a year ago and now, I mean, say Freddie Freeman's not here, but we bring in Matt Olson, Ronald Acuna Jr. Mm-hmm. is back as a part of this lineup. I mean, it, it had to have been, you know, just to a boiling point, which is why I'm thinking Saturday night meant so much to Adam Duvall to kind of break out the way that he did sure. because he had been in a bad way for a long time, hitting nowhere near the production he was last year when he led the National League in RBI. So, uh, you know, just, a, again, a, a massive offensive surge from this team uh, throughout this run here, and you know, you take little bits along the way. You think about what Olson was able to do in mm-hmm. in Arizona, and then you think about you know Riley and what he's been capable of during this set. And uh, again, Duvall last night on Saturday night, uh, it, it's just been exactly what this team needed at the right time. It is, and you knew the offense was going to be the key to all of this. And the questions had been, you know, when they're going to shake up the lineup. Well, they did that, and then I think to varying degrees, it's worked. There've been some uh, some guys that you've gotten un un, I guess. Unexpected production from, I guess that's fair to say, as far as William Contreras is concerned. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to be looking at him and saying, you know who the most dangerous hitter on the Braves, not named Ronald Acuna, is for a period of time longer than, let's say, a series? Hey, it's William Contreras. we got to get him more and more at-bats, and the Braves are starting to find ways to do that as well. And the the young catcher, he's not a rookie anymore. He already surpassed those standards in the 2021 season when he was pressed into duty behind the plate for a long period of time with Travis Darno hurt. But William Contreras has shown throughout his development through the minor leagues, getting his first taste of the big leagues and really finding himself at the plate. This is a kid that could be a force for Atlanta, and I don't think it was expected to happen. And if it was, it wasn't expected to happen this soon. It wasn't. And you think about back to what, the way he looked last year. You know, he was trying to figure out how in the world was he going to, you know, take on this load of, of, filling this void while uh, Travis Darno was out, yep. trying to figure out how do I work with a major league pitching staff. And I think a lot of that carried over to his offense. Now, he was never really, you know, at any of the, the offensive levels that we saw him at before, a real power guy, which I think is almost kind of made, you know, this, the, the slug and the, the ISO numbers from him mm-hmm. uh, that much more surprising. But, you know, it's really, you and I talked about this before. I mean, how, how do you now 
look at this situation with the way he's hitting and the way Travis Darno is showing you what he's capable of and the issues that you have at DH in the, in the corner outfield spots and try to find some scenario in the jigsaw puzzle that Brian Snicker's dealing with on a daily basis to yeah. get William Contreras consistent ABs. Well, we are seeing more Ronald Acuna Jr. in right field on this road trip. Yeah. We are seeing him play more in consecutive games. And, you know, outside of some nagging leg injuries that have caused Ronald to not be in the lineup, which is going to open up a spot where you could use William Contreras, at least as your DH on days that Darno catches. And yeah, you have to play Marcelo Zuna in left field. That's another piece of the jigsaw puzzle. You didn't have Adam Duvall hitting at the level that he needed to be. So your outfield was full of questions, so much so that you had to reach down to double A and pull Michael Harris a second up and install him in center field. And boy, are the Braves glad that they did that. The early returns on Michael Harris have been extremely positive. He's riding a nice five-game hitting streak into Sunday's action. He's raised his average to 300. I, I get it that it's only eight games, so let's not get overly excited. He's OPSing over 700, but the gold glove defense, the great base running, the energy, and just I think the personality that Michael Harris brings to this team, he fits right in. He's exactly the kind of player they needed, and he has hit the ground running. He's been fantastic. I mean, obviously we knew the credentials. We knew the noise that he was making as far back as last spring. I mean, you know, Brian Snicker talked glowingly about yeah. Michael Harris a year ago. Um, and to see the way that they he, they just, you know, moved him through that system so quickly. And, you know, it's over 700 OPS, three doubles, five-game hitting streak, as you mentioned, going into Sunday. Doubles in three of the previous four games going into Sunday. And the defense has just been absolutely premier. Um, and he showcased a sprint speed that's absolutely elite. I and mean, you think about 29 feet per second, that's mm-hmm. 93rd percentile across the league. And when you start looking at the guys that that pieces him to, and everyone's talked about the, the premier athlete that Byron Buxton is. He's right there along with Buxton yeah. in terms of that sprint speed. So, I mean, this is this is legit athleticism for Michael Harris. We haven't seen the power yet, but no. I feel like with his swing and, and his ability to get on base, and, I mean, the exit velocities are there, certainly. I, I think that this is a guy that's going to grow into that power. And it may not be middle-of-the-order kind of power. It may not be putting on the kind of displays that Buxton does because that's just one of those guys I look at. What a freak athlete, and what if he could stay healthy for just 140 games a season what will we be seeing out of Byron Buxton year over year? But I think it's a nice comp in terms of the all-around game, the premier defense that you're going to get, and the swing that Michael Harris has. You can tell that he's comfortable with who he is at the plate. That's a testament to his hard work throughout 2020, which for so many guys, every minor league player, that could have been a completely lost season if you didn't really key in on your development and have a motor to keep yourself motivated to accomplish your own individual goals as you worked at an alternate training site that's not how we develop players historically, but that was a historical event in which things were changed for that year. And again, I think that speaks a lot to the ability of Michael Harris to really make the most of that time. And that is why when you look at it and you say, well, this is a guy that had 43 games above a ball. Are the Braves sure that he's ready? They felt like, okay, we believe he's ready. We believe he can learn on the job. We believe he can fit in right here. And that's exactly what he's done. Now, you brought up Austin Riley, and I don't want to get out of this first segment without really keying in on him because I think he's one of the big bats that the Braves needed to see consistency out of. He started off pretty well, and then there was a couple of three weeks in which it just seemed like it was the exact opposite for Austin Riley. But one thing I've learned about Austin over the years, getting to know him as a young kid coming up to the minor leagues, seeing the hard work for him, hearing that every time he talks about, I've got to improve at the plate, He also says, and I've got to improve at third base. I've got to improve my defense. There's really such a motor for him as well to make himself into a better player that now when he is hit with a slump that lasts two, three weeks or more, 
I feel like he's going to work his way out of it. He's going to hit his way out of it, and that's exactly what he's done the past couple of weeks. He's batting just under 400. He's hit safely in 12 of his last 13 games heading into Sunday with half a dozen home runs, 12 runs knocked in, and 13 runs scored in those 13 ball games. And he's on pace for a 40-home run season after his big breakout campaign. Corey, this Austin Riley kid is a legit cornerstone for the Atlanta Braves, and he's hitting like one right now. Without question. And I think a lot of it has to do, you mentioned, you know, just his approach to things and his composure. I mean, he's not a guy that seems to get up or too down about mm-hmm. anything. He, you know, he's, he's self-assured. He's got, you know, he, he got that, uh, you know, belief in himself. And um, you, you look at the, the stretch that he's been on. The past 13 games, the only player who has a higher fan graph award than he does is Mookie Betts. He's ninth he's overall. He's good too, right? <laughs> he's ninth <laughs> overall in that stretch and way to run create a plus. You mentioned he's on pace for 42 homers. Uh, the 14th homer for him this year came in his 208th at bat. That's 64 fewer than it took him to get to that total yep. a year ago. So it feels like we were just talking about what's going on with Austin Riley, and now here we are you know, talking about him stacking up quite well to what he did a year ago yep. and being you know, upper echelon in terms of the names that we're putting him with. Don't think that this guy isn't capable of going on long stretches where mm-hmm. you just stunned by the production, and we're seeing that out of him. He's going to be a central at a central bat for the Braves as they look to put together a consistent middle of the order. And now we see Austin Riley having to bother hitting sixth or seventh anymore. He's back up there hitting third in the lineup on a pretty nightly basis here, and I think that that speaks a lot for a kid that again has proven himself. Last year should have given him an awful lot of confidence because he had an MVP caliber season. So if there was any lingering question about do I belong here in his head or any lingering question for uh, Braves fans or anybody else looking at this club and saying, "Ah, do they have the answer at third base? I don't know. You might have felt that way in April of 2021, but by the time he went on his tear about mid-May on and even moving on into this season, he just continues to prove that, yep, there are going to be some peaks and valleys, but they don't have to be long peaks and valleys. He's going to hit his way through it, and I think that that, again, is something the Braves have been looking for, and they need a lot of different guys to get going that way. Dansby Swanson's been hitting that way for a while. Healthy Ronald Acuna Jr. is always going to be a productive player. What you're getting out of Michael Harris, we're seeing some life from Travis Darno as well. Matt Olson on this road trip has started to swing the bat pretty well. Came up with another big home run on Sunday. He had that huge game as well against Arizona. Four hits and four runs knocked in. You're going to want to see more of them. I get that. You're going to want to see that RBI total go up. But for what Matt Olson has been working his way through, which is probably one of the longest slumps of his career, it's great to see these signs of life and these big hits coming along for him, including one that helped the Braves win in extras against the Rockies to start the weekend. Yeah, I mean, even if you want to talk about a slump from him, I mean, it was the doubles were still coming yep. at you know a record, and I don't mean Braves record, an all-time record yeah, pace, like a sixty-plus season. Yeah, I mean, it's. I just think we got so used to seeing the power numbers from him uh, when he was doing it in Oakland a year ago. You know, flirting with forty home runs, what the Braves got used to seeing out of that first mm-hmm. base position. I really do think he's one of the guys who's who's kind of been caught in that you know that kind of gray space with that new baseball and yep. the kind of the inconsistencies with it because. All everything from him from a profile standpoint offensively is the exact same thing it was last year. The the launch angle, hard hit rate, barrel rate, none of that stuff is really demonstrably different than it was a year ago. You think ultimately that stuff's going to even it out. Some of those doubles are going to start to become home runs, but I mean twenty three doubles, MLB leading twenty three doubles. Mm-hmm. That's that, that's nothing nothing to sniff at. No, it's a good stat, and you want to just see more of it. And clearly, as you look at what goes on with runners in scoring position, he is one of many Braves who've had some struggles in that spot. But again, on the road trip a couple of big hits including again another one on Sunday he had a big one as well against the Rockies in extras with a two-run single and he had that big old game 
against the uh, Diamondbacks on the road trip as well. So we got a lot to talk about as we continue on here on From the Diamond. Much more of this week in Braves baseball is coming your way, and we'll get to it next right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back to more from the Diamond Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back to From the Diamond here on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game from the Kia Studios. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you as always behind the glass. We've got Dom Shirosky keeping us on track here as we continue this week in Braves baseball. And I want to start out with one of the bright stories are are bright are the highlights really the brave season here in 2022 and it's been Kyle Wright and this is not a new development if you've watched Kyle throughout the first couple of months of the season you've seen that it's not just hey there's Kyle Wright with a good start and then a couple of bad ones a mediocre one and then maybe another good one and you're still wondering what exactly you have there this is a guy who has done all the work that he needed to do he showed flashes of it at the end of last year and he's shown a lot more here in 2022. He's been one of the bright spots for this club, and on MLB Network Radio recently this past week, he was quite candid about trying to turn his career around last season with the Gwinnett Stripers. I want you to take a listen to this, Corey, because I felt like this was a good look inside how Kyle Wright was feeling before being able to turn the corner. I mean, I think anytime you get sent down, it's frustrating and not what you want to happen. So um, I'd definitely say I, you know, I had a, you know, a bit of loss of confidence, but not so much because I got sent down, but just because how Alma just was performing in general. So I was just, you know, very frustrated with myself and uh, knowing that I wasn't pitching to my ability. So that was kind of when I just really was ready to hit the reset button. That's where, you know, kind of started my, <laughs> I remember my agent, he was watching me pitch one of my outings in AAA and he's like, you're not very good right now. Um, and so that was kind of like, yeah, you know, you're right. And that's when we really started to put things in motion to find a way to uh, fix this and right the ship. So, Corey, as we've talked about a lot with Kyle Wright, that meant going back to the pitcher that he was in Vanderbilt. And if he was looking to reinvent himself or just find what worked so well for him that made him such a highly touted prospect coming out of college, I would say he has succeeded and then some. Yeah, without question. And I had a similar conversation with Kyle uh, a little bit earlier in the season. And, you know, he told me when he was coming out of college, he was really a fastball curveball guy, and then early in his career, he kind of picked up on throwing the slider and really got away from throwing that that curveball. And then during the 2020 season, you know, is when he kind of started to put more of a focus on the curve. And then was when he got optioned, you know, a, a year ago, and he was at Triple A that he really, you know, said, "I'm going to put a focus on throwing this pitch." And it's become such a huge weapon for him this year. He's thrown it 31 percent of the time. He's actually thrown it more times than he's thrown his four-seam fastball early in the season, and it's getting just a 205 a batting average against. Um, it's just been a lethal combination for Kyle Wright, and I just love the fact that you know he admit, was admitting to himself, you know, what I'm doing is just not working, and going back and and finding that. And you know, I I know a lot of people put an emphasis on what he did during the World Series as kind of that turning point, but when you talk to Kyle, he says that's not that was that was what we saw, but the actual turning point for him was when he was at AAA yep. and when he decided to go back to the drawing board and kind of remake himself in his arsenal, and that's what we're seeing the benefits of now. Yeah, we certainly are. And, and as I look at Kyle Wright, and this was something I think Mark Bowman of MLB.com pointed out, I mean, he's already completed six or more innings in a start seven of his ten times this year. I think it was five times prior in the 14 games that he had started at the big leagues that he had completed six innings. In fact, he's only 
and been unable to complete five innings one time this year, and that was that start against the Boston Red Sox where he kind of got ambushed. An inning went sideways on him, but you would have thought, hey, he could be out of here, not even throwing a couple of innings. He was able to give the Braves a little bit of length in that game. I think even that is a place where you've seen the difference in Kyle Wright year over year. He knows he can make adjustments. He knows he doesn't have to wait till between starts to get it done. He has conviction in those pitches, and Corey, I think that speaks to what you were talking about and, of course, what Kyle Wright is talking about and what he's feeling on the mound. You have to be convicted with what you're throwing, with your arsenal. You have to have confidence in that to be able to succeed at the big league level. And as a starting pitcher, I think confidence is as important or more important than perhaps just about any other player on the diamond because you literally hold the game in your hands every single pitch. Without question. And I, I think with Kyle, too, you know, because of his age, I mean, he's 26 years old, uh, you know, we've kind of talked about these waves of pitching with the Braves before. Don't forget that Wright is older than both Ian Anderson and Mike Soroka, who were drafted before him, yeah. and he's nine months younger than Max Freed. So, I mean, is is he he's a guy that, that this is where he, you know, the, the point in his career, you know, where I think he's got to kind of figure himself out. Uh, you know, they we know the Braves have some younger arms that have been back there. I think this felt like a really crucial season for whether or not the Kyle, the Kyle Wright that they drafted was going to be the Kyle Wright that they actually saw uh, in, you know, practical purpose every five days out as part of this rotation. He's doing it. He's been one of the best, uh, you know, resumes of any uh, pitcher to start this season. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, you think about what they're getting from Freed, you know, what Soroka is capable of. They knew that, that this was mm-hmm. within Kyle Wright. Now we're just seeing it on a consistent basis. He's only had one of his 10 starts thus far in which he's allowed more than three runs. So you're pretty much looking at a guy that's a quality start every single time out. He's been a machine for him. And when you're going through a year in which – you know, Ian Anderson's kind of had some some questionable results a time or three this year, but nothing that really alarms you. But Charlie Morton, on the other hand, has been kind of a wild card and not a great wild card for the Braves rotation because he just hasn't been able to settle into being the old Charlie Morton yet. And he was kind of dealing with that again in his start on Sunday in the finale against the Colorado Rockies. So it's just kind of the latest in the in the line of Charlie Morton continuing to try to work this Rubik's Cube so that he can figure out how to be the guy that the Braves need to be up there with Kyle Wright, to be up there with Max Freed, who, by the way, threw one of the best starts of his career last time out and looks every bit the Cy Young Award contender that he has been the last couple of years for the Braves. Once you start kind of lining it all up, and he brought up Mike Soroka, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because I would love to see Mike Soroka back, and I know he's going down to Florida, and he's going to start ramping up all of his rehab activities. He's going to be throwing bullpens. He's going to be throwing sim games. He's going to be facing hitters for the first time in a hot minute. It's going to be exciting to see what the timeline is for Mike ultimately. But Kyle Wright has locked down such a crucial spot in this Braves rotation, particularly, and we'll talk about it in a moment, when the fifth spot in rotation has been in a constant state of flux pretty much from opening day on. Yeah, and I think the thing with Wright, too, is you know you, you think about what this rotation has the chance to be, right? And, and not just yeah. the chance to be in, in 2021, but you know Charlie Morton has an option year for next year as well. So you think about you know what conversations are we having you know, going into next spring, if Soroka comes back and he's able to, you know, to be, you know, a competent or anywhere close to what he had been before that all-star form, uh, you know, this just has a, a, a chance to be a, a group, I say Morton, not homegrown, but obviously he was a guy who was there and came back. But the, the guys that the Braves have developed, uh, you know, through the process of getting this team, uh, you know, built back up from the ground up, uh, you think about Max Freed, uh, you know, and, and Ian Anderson and Kyle Wright, Uh, Those are three of the guys in Soroka, a fourth, that are ones that you brought into the house and developed yourself along the way through your Mm -hmm. minor league system. 
that means you don't have to go out and, and keep finding that extra piece and finding that guy that you take a flyer on and um, you know whether or not they can find stability within that fifth spot I think is the real uh, you know answer to that question whether or not you do have to go out but uh, they have to feel really good about the fact what they have going out there and, and Kyle Wright being uh, you know able to do that consistently yeah it's been a big and a welcome development for the Braves rotation and of course for Kyle who had been working so hard for a number of years not just to get to the big leagues but to stay there and that was a big question and as he talked about in that clip that we played again that was from MLB Network Radio this past week and it was just it's not so much about the being demoted that is the demoralizing thing. It's trying to find the answers that can kind of break that cycle and stop it from happening. And I think Kyle has done a wonderful job of making those adjustments first in AAA, giving us that little sneak peek in October, and then coming out this year and pitching like the guy that I think we all thought was in there. And, in fact, he's shown that it is. Now let's talk about the fifth spot in rotation, which has been the real question for the Braves, or one of the questions, if you want to put the lineup in a separate column. We'll get to that a little bit later. But I think Spencer Strider... If you look at the lines of the two starts that he had, neither one of them are going to really blow you away. The one in Arizona, that was undone by not one, not two, but three different mistakes. There were no errors in the final line for the Braves, but there were multiple mistakes made behind him, plays that weren't made, I should say. Four and a third innings, four runs, five of them earned. Uh, three, excuse me, three of them earned five runs total, a couple of walks, seven strikeouts, allowed a big three-run homer. But if you give a team like Arizona five outs in an inning, you can't really be upset about the home run that comes before you're able to figure out a way to finally get out of it. Now, if you look at the line from these two, eight and a third innings, six runs, uh, four of them earned, six hits, seven walks, five of which came in his start against the Rockies on Saturday, 12 punchouts. I certainly expected strikeouts from him. It looks like a mixed bag, but I think that the Arizona starts very deceiving, and I think that he did a nice job of damage control and getting his pitch count up to 85 in his start against Colorado, even though the walks were there, a run scored on a wild pitch, but that was all he allowed, and he was left out there to finish out that fourth inning when myself and a lot of other people would have said, why is this guy still in the game? And I think all of those are kind of growth opportunities and moments for a guy like Spencer Strider as he looks to establish himself as a starting pitcher in the big leagues. I will point out, though, that four days after his start against Arizona, the MLB ruled the double play ball that Matt uh, Olson had dropped was an error. So they actually ended up taking some earned runs That's off of good. the ledger. For that actually threw me off when I looked at this line because I had not gone back and revisited it, and I knew it was five earned runs that he got charged with, and I thought, that's a travesty because that double play ball, perhaps more than any of the other ones, was just one of those plays that that has to be made by a big league first baseman, so that's good to know. Yeah, and so you obviously cut it down, and, and now he's got a 4-3-2 ERA in those those two stars. It's not spectacular, but it's still mm-hmm. better than half of what he, the Braves were getting from the other guys, and nine, and almost 9 ERA from the other ones outside of Jesse Chavez that were trying to fill that number five spot. So um, getting out of trouble the way he did in Denver and only allowing uh, you know that one run through and having the bases loaded twice, uh, you know, I think that's he gave them a chance to win the game, right? And as much as we saw Spencer Strider in this bullpen role and thought, man, this guy is ridiculous. Getting your team in a chance to win a game as the fifth starter is really all you're asking for the number five guy in your rotation. I think so most times. And as you look at the run-up to getting his starting pitching opportunity, this is a guy that at one point went through six outings between April the 30th and May the 20th in which he allowed one walk and punched out 21 batters. Now, that is work in relief, so he's just kind of coming in, airing it out. There was a four-inning relief stint, though, mixed in there, in which he struck out eight and didn't walk a batter. And I'm not going to say that five walks one time makes me question the, com- the command or control of Spencer Strider, but I will point out that the walks is the one thing that really bit every single other fifth-man candidate for the Braves this year because those 
invite trouble, and a lot of times big league lineups are going to make you pay for that. Spencer Strider was able to walk that tightrope and get out of it, though. Wild pitch was the only run that was allowed, and even that was kind of self-inflicted. 17 strikeouts and nine walks when you also include his last relief outing as well, which went two and two-thirds against the Phillies on May 25th. So I'm not trying to say that there's a book out on Spencer Strider now, but clearly guys are getting a little bit more aware of that arsenal. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's something that's going to happen with time. And certainly, you know, the, the more they pit and see him, the more pitches he throws in these uh, these starts, and we'll see if he gets another t- return in this rotation. I would imagine he does. Uh, I think that's going to be a storyline to watch as those walks. Yeah, definitely will. We'll see what Spencer Strider is able to do his next time out. The Braves, by all indications, are going to continue to allow him to pitch his way through this and prove himself at the big league level. And I think, again, you, you may be wondering why is Spencer Strider out there with the bases loaded and two men out in the fourth inning and already having allowed a run on a wild pitch and all these walks. Well, I think they wanted him to learn that, hey, I can pitch out of this kind of stuff, and that's something he can carry into his next start. And that, I feel like, is something that the Braves and Brian Snitker in particular really do for players is try to put them in a position where they know that, hey, we got some faith in you to work out of this when possible rather than just expecting the bullpen door to fly open every time you get in trouble. So for young starting pitchers, I think that's one of the many things that you just kind of have to have that confidence again to go back to that word that, hey, I'm up here for a reason. I'm able to get these big outs, and I think we've seen enough of Spencer Strider to know he can get plenty of big outs. We'll see how that goes. Let's do a couple of injury updates for the Braves. We got those on Tyler Matzik, who's dealing with that shoulder inflammation. He is now playing catch. Eddie Rosario, meanwhile, has started hitting in the cage, and physically he can do a lot of the things that he would normally do, but it's dealing with that blurred vision, that eye surgery. He was transferred to the 60-day injured list on Sunday as the Braves made a roster move and picked up a player from the uh, Kramer Robertson, an infielder from the Cardinals organization, to put on the 40-man, so they needed to make that move. I think that just kind of let us know that Eddie Rosario is not coming back next week, but we already knew it was going to be a few more weeks before we saw Eddie, and we'll kind of see how the throwing goes for Tyler Matzik because it would sure be nice to get him back into the bullpen and back into that night shift. Especially now that you have Strider in this role yes. in the rotation, I think having the, the weapon that is Matzik in that uh, bullpen would be huge. Eddie Rosario, by the way, he did tell us in a, a club an appearance in the clubhouse uh, in the last two weeks that he's – trying to find ways to do things without straining his eyes. He doesn't even like to look at his phone. If a game's going on, he might pull it out every once in a while and look just to see how the guys are doing, but he does not sit there and watch games. He was asked, what does he actually do with his time? He says he cleans his car and he cleans his house, and they are very clean. I would imagine so at this point. I mean, this is a this is a highly trained professional athlete with nothing but free time yeah. to sit at home and try to get better. So if you want to get organized while you're at it and practice your feng shui, then I guess that's something you can do as well. But we'd love to see Eddie Rosario back in this mix in the outfield. And it's going to look a little bit different when he comes back now with the emergence of Michael Harris to bring it back to that. Adam Duvall, this is a critical time right now for him to start hitting. And he's done some of that in Colorado. That's great to see. But the Braves have been waiting on that for a while. Once you get Acuna in right field, you got Harris in center field. You still have Marcelo Zuna as a DH slash left fielder. And you got Adam Duvall in the mix. Then you add Eddie Rosario. Corey, it's going to be a little bit of a battle for at-bats if you're outside of the Ronald Acuna Jr. area in right field and perhaps Michael Harrison center field pending the results of how well he plays until the time in which Eddie Rosario comes back and you have to make these decisions. Yeah, it almost makes you wonder who's going to be the odd man out in this situation, too. Is it going to be Guillermo Heredia? I mean, who, who is, who's now not going to get right. those opportunities? And he seems to be the most logical guy with uh, Adam Duvall potentially sliding into that uh, that fourth outfielder spot. You know, We know what the bat's capable of. And if, if he is hitting, I think mm-hmm. they're going to have a, some really interesting debates on their hands. I mean, don't, don't get it twisted that Rosario is just going to come in 
and just be an everyday player again. I mean, this is going to be a build for him as well. So I think you're going to see Duvall get those chances at least for a little while to, yep. to, to you know fight his way into playing time. But um, it's going to get really, really interesting. Yeah, and it might, might be another case of what you saw last season, which was you ride the hot hand. Because mm-hmm. the Braves went out and they traded for an all-new outfield last season. Once Ronald Acuna Jr. was down, Christian Pache didn't work out, Marcelo Zuna had his troubles. That was one of the huge storylines. It's one of the things we'll always point to the 2021 Braves and say, can you believe they traded for an all-new outfield and won the World Series? Well, Eddie Rosario was perhaps the hottest hitter the Braves had in September down the stretch and into the playoffs where he carried it right on over to the NLCS and made himself kind of a household name among Braves fans. So we'll see which version of Eddie Rosario we get back after this. That could be yet another boost for the Braves. we got lots more Braves and baseball talk to get to here on From the Diamond. When we come back, we'll get into our three up and three down, six of the biggest stories from Major League Baseball from the week that was. We'll get to it next right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. place for all things MLB and our Braves. This is From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back to From the Diamond. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It is now time to put a hold on our Braves talk and look at some of the biggest stories from around Major League Baseball over the past week with something we like to call three up and three down. And I want to begin with an unlikely success story, at least one of those on paper. The Pirates completed a three-game sweep of the Dodgers. Now, if you've watched long enough, you know, Corey, that baseball is weird like that. Pittsburgh pulled off the kind of thing that not too many clubs can boast against L.A. in recent years as they became the first visiting team to complete a sweep at Dodger Stadium since August of 2018. It was the first time the Pirates had swept the Dodgers since 2015 and their first sweep of Los Angeles, or in Los Angeles, rather, since 2000. So 22 years between sweeps at Dodger Stadium for the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's definitely a reminder that a lot of things can happen over the course of a 162-game baseball season. I feel like if you're the Pirates, this has to be like winning the World Series, right? And just think about the weird... So, so they're horrible, right? I mean, I think we can agree <laughs> that the Pirates are horrible. They're not great. But within the last month, they have won a no-hitter. Well, they won a game in which they did not get a hit. Mm-hmm. And then they swept the Dodgers in L.A. for the first time since 2000. So some pretty some weirdness for a team that, you know, has not a lot to be excited about in the 2022 season, but um, you know, I mean, it's, it's just crazy to think that you would, you would take down that team out there like that. I mean, I will say the way the Dodgers responded, you can tell that it did not phase them one bit because they decided to put a hurting on their next opponent. But um, yeah, that has to be the apex of the season without question for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Well, they are now five and one against the Dodgers, having won the other series, then going out to LA and sweeping the Dodgers, which again is just not something that happens very often. And that's one of the reasons why the LA Dodgers, when you look at best record in the National League, best record in baseball, you're always on that list because you're not getting swept in too many series, least of which by the Pittsburgh Pirates, a club that has really been struggling to string together three wins in a row many times throughout a baseball season, though we've seen it can be difficult for clubs that are expected to win like the Atlanta Braves, who are currently riding their best winning streak of the year into the weekend, and it took them into the month of June to win three games in a row, so these things can happen. Now let's go back to the National League East and talk about the Washington Nationals, who, if you're wondering, they're not trading Juan Soto, but thanks for asking. That's what General Manager Mike Rizzo told 106.7 The Fan this past week in a radio interview. And despite the fact the team is up for sale with the learners reportedly seeking a price tag of $3 billion for their club, the superstar outfielder isn't going to be traded away amidst a rough season for the Nationals. 
Now, for his part, Soto didn't provide much of a reaction when he was told about this quote from Rizzo and this news, I guess, if you want to call it that, by the New York Post this past week. But we've seen this story so many times over. We've even lived through it here in Atlanta not long ago. When a club rebuilds, it's rare to see a superstar talent like Soto stick around to reach that next window of contention when and if that actually comes. And you almost have to think about the fact that He's a twenty after twenty twenty four. He's going to be a free agent. He's right. already turned down uh, an offer in the three hundred million dollar range. I mean, I think some industry people think he's going to get uh, around five hundred million. So you have to ask yourself whether you really buy Mike Rizzo's comments. I mean, if he didn't like the offer, it you know it's he's not sticking around. You think about Bryce Harper deal that was nixed by ownership in twenty eighteen that would have sent him to the Astros. There's a willingness for Mike Rizzo to sell big stars. Yeah, if the price is right. So I, I, to me, it's just it's, it's going to be a matter of if they can't get something worked out this winter, they can't allow themselves to go into the 2024 offseason and not have something in return for Juan Soto. So maybe it's not for, he's not for sale now. But a year from now, they could be having a completely different conversation. Yeah, and, and I think we all are, you know, we've been around long enough to know that things can and will change. If it's one way right now, it does not mean this is the situation they'll find themselves in a year from now. But they're probably not going to put the team up for sale for a pretty penny. And then in the midst of that, for optics, if nothing else, trade away your best player, one of the best players in the game. And then to kind of piggyback on what you were talking about, they let Bryce Harper walk for nothing. Yeah. And they let Anthony Rendon walk in free agency. Not that they needed to be trading him because, look, Rendon helped them win the World Series. Harper had them on the cusp of that prior to going and signing with the Philadelphia Phillies, but they weren't able to re-sign him is my point. And if Soto has already shown that $300-plus million, whatever that was, was just not the deal he was looking for at that time, which that's quite a statement in and of itself, (laughs) what is your level of confidence that you're going to be able to sign this guy to the deal he does want when the deal he wants is going to be Mike Trout level or above. And he, they just got rid of Trey Turner, too. I mean, That's let's true. not forget that they've, they've shown it doesn't matter. If the, if the price is right, it does not matter. And I think that's the thing. I mean, I think it does tie into the fact that this team is for sale. And you can't, you can't put yourself up for market and then not have the best player on your team as part of the the. the Makeup of the team during right. going through that like, process. I mean, just at least let happen. the new owner make a decision exactly. of what they're going to yeah. do with Juan yeah. Soto. But this ultimately a baseball decision, and somebody like Mike Rizzo, who's been around the block long enough to know this is where they are right now. But as you pointed out, it doesn't mean that that's something that won't change. Now, here's a fun and bizarre happening from this weekend, as we've seen a rash of position players pitching in recent years. So many so that you may not even really think it's an altogether uncommon event. I'm here to tell you, it's not. Uh, it's it's not very uncommon anymore. Dave Roberts, though, tried his hand, and Buck Showalter called his bluff in a Mets and Dodgers game. Trailing 9-4, Roberts sent Dodgers infielder Zach McKinstry in to pitch the ninth inning against the Mets. Buck Showalter, though, took note of a rule saying a team can't use a position player on the mound unless trailing by six or more runs. That rule actually includes you can be up by six runs. I don't know why you'd want to throw a position player then, but whatever. I did not know anything about this rule. I learned something in this game, and it was bizarre and It was 10 minutes of just pure chaos as Evan Phillips was eventually forced to enter the game, a reliever, after a 10-minute delay. Truly a sight to behold and just one of the more bizarre happenings of the 2022 season thus far. There is an exception to this rule, and if you list a guy as a two-way player, they can pitch at any point. The lesson here is that every MLB team should have one player 
who is listed as a two-way player, and then you will get yourself out of this situation should Buck Showalter ever be smart enough to let you know that you're in the wrong again. It's crazy that Buck Showalter took time off from managing. And, well, what's not crazy is that apparently on Thursday, he had railed against the fact that position players were being used as much as they are. So you knew he had already sat around and thought, you know what, why are these guys being used? He'd gotten curious. And when you get curious, you find some stuff that sometimes comes (laughs) in handy for arguments later. So when the Dodgers tried this little routine, I think that it was part of a larger message Buck Showalter was sending about the competitive nature of what you would hope would be the best that you can get every single night. The best you can get is not forcing a position player to go out there and throw the final one or two innings of a game. And we've seen it far too much, I think, the past four or five years. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some guys who are more than capable in those situations, right? I mean, they have guys that come in and you think, I mean, Charlie Culberson would come into sure. the Braves for, you know, for the Braves and you thought, okay, I, I see it. He's an athlete. But there are certain Anthony Rizzo, you know, Albert Pujols. Yadier Molina, guys that you think, okay, everyone's smiling now. We've seen it. They, they right. got there and had their, their moment. And, and, you know, this is, should not be what's happening in the game of baseball. But um, there's a loophole. And get that two-way player on your roster so you don't have to be like Dave Roberts. Well, let's talk about a team that has a two-way player. And let's talk about Commissioner Mike Trout. No, he's not quitting his day job to take over for Rob Manfred. But Trout got dragged into the sordid affair that followed Tommy Pham slapping Jock Peterson in the face over a fantasy sports squabble. Trout is apparently the commissioner of the Fantasy League, and he was called out by Fam, who said, and I quote, Trout did a terrible job, man. Trout's the worst commissioner in fantasy sports, end quote. That comes after Fam accused Peterson of violating the rules by placing a player on injured reserve to open a roster spot and then picking someone else up. And since we're talking about a $10,000 buy-in for this league, well, Fam called foul on Jock and ultimately netted himself a three-game suspension when he couldn't keep his hands to himself in Cincinnati. Now, As one would expect from Mike Trout, he kind of laughed off this criticism. He declined to get into more of the specifics about this now legendary disagreement and joked that he may, in fact, step down from his commissionership and saying, every commissioner I know gets booed, and this story is truly the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, it's insane. I mean... We finally found something that Mike Trout is not good at. That's that's number one there. <laughs> According to one man. Yeah, and everyone that, who has wanted Mike Trout to be marketed better, Tommy Pham went out and marketed him as the worst fantasy commissioner in the world. I so don't think, I think that's that, the hook they were looking no, for. No, but you know, it, it, don't peel back the layers in your heroes, folks. You'll just be disappointed, and now we got that with Mike Trout. Yeah, and I've been in plenty of fantasy leagues in which I have questioned the methods of certain managers in the league, certain commissioners in the league that seem to like to prop themselves up and hide behind the rules of said league and create all kinds of unsavory disagreements to the point where I was in a league for a couple of years and decided I am no longer joining this league every year. It brings me nothing but misery, and I'm going to let the other 10, 12, or 14 people that get pulled into this thing lose their money and their mind over the course of the summer. I'm not going to do this anymore. Now, that was a fantasy baseball league. This is fantasy football. I don't know if it's altogether more competitive, altogether more popular, or whatever it is, or maybe it just gets the blood boiling a little bit more in the case of Mr. Tommy Pham, but this is one of the craziest, craziest things that I think I've ever seen in all the sports. It's so funny, too, because everyone always says, no one wants to hear about your fantasy team. Well, everybody True. wants to hear about these fantasy teams. Everybody yeah. wants to know, and I think next year their draft should be like simulcasted on MLB Network, and you know, let's just get some sponsors behind this and... You know, the the league, the old FX show, let's right. have another season of that that's wrapped around these guys. Turn it into a reality show. There you go. And let me give you a, a hot tip here. If the Astros had a fantasy team, which they don't have to because they're a real team, then they would be high on slugger Jordan Alvarez, who signed a six-year, $115 million extension, securing a piece of a club that has designs on even more trips to the World Series in the future. 
Alvarez has developed into one of the game's best sluggers, and now Houston has a 24-year-old locked down through 2028. This is a big move, Corey, for the Astros because we just saw shortstop Carlos Correa, outfielder George Springer, and starter Garrett Cole, among others, leave for greener pastures in recent years. This deal buys out three arbitration years and three free agent years, which will keep the 2019 Rookie of the Year around in Houston as they hope to keep this window of contention going. I love this. I mean, it's the fourth biggest deal ever for a player who has yet to reach arbitration behind Fernando Tatis Jr. at 14 years, 340. Buster Posey, uh, you know, at eight for uh, for 159, and then Trout at six for uh, 114.5. Uh, the fact that we're looking at the Astros. Uh, we mentioned we'll talk about this later with Jeremy Pena and, uh, replacing Carlos Correa. But the fact that they've been able to have this next wave of their players come up and not have to be in a position where you're you know you can let guys go and you can still have this level of talent uh, around in there. I think this is just a big signal. Uh, you know the fact that they don't feel like they have to be a part of that scenario where the Cubs were, where you just watch your core come up and say, "Okay, guys, that was fun. Now we're going to go back into a rebuild." This team is clearly, you know, positioning themselves to be in contention for some time. Yeah, and the Cubs did have, I would say, a window that could have allowed them to maybe get back and do it again for a couple of three years. But once you did get to 2019 and 2020, you knew you were in the last vestiges of that group that won it in 2016. Mm-hmm. And after waiting 108 years, I'm sure the Cubs were very happy to have broken that curse. But it does feel like there could have been a little bit more done with that group over a longer period of time. But that wasn't to be. The Astros, meanwhile, have been able to pivot away from this player to that player. They've gone out and gotten more than adequate replacements, or they've been able to produce some of them themselves. And Alvarez is one of the biggest ones, slugging nearly 580 over the course of his career. And 162-game average for this kid, 44 homers, 38 doubles, 122 runs knocked in, and a 952 OPS. Those are numbers that will play and could play for quite some time in Houston. Now, here's a wonderful story I want to close things out with on three up, three down here on From the Diamond, because this past week, 27-year-old Jose Quas went from working from FedEx or working for FedEx to a major league pitcher for the Royals. He made his debut on Tuesday with a scoreless inning against Cleveland. The former infielder was converted to a pitcher as a farmhand for Milwaukee in 2018. He then moved on to the Arizona system in 2019, pitched pretty well, but he got released and was out of affiliated baseball, so he pitched in indie ball and in winter league and trained with his brother in Brooklyn to kind of reinvent himself as a pitcher while also working for FedEx during the day. The Royals saw him. They signed him in 2021. He found his way to the big leagues this past week, and this is the kind of success story that makes baseball and sports great. This is going to be streaming on Disney Plus within the next year and a half. I'm calling it right Million now. Million-dollar arm, yeah, too? Nope, nope. It's going to be a double feature you watch with the rookie, and it's going to be called... The Delivery Man. Okay. I like it. There you go. The Delivery Man. I like it. This is, as you look through the course of a Major League Baseball season, it can be full of different controversies and and different debates and and different, you know, days spent arguing about lineups or whatever else of your favorite team. And there's a lot of negativity that can surround being a sports fan, a lot of fanaticism that kind of gets out of control. But every once in a while, you get one of these nice little silver linings where this – I mean, what are the odds that you're going to be able to, A, go from being an infielder to being a pitcher? Probably not that great. I mean, a lot of guys get converted. Then you kind of wash out a pro ball for a while, and he was looking to give it up, but his brother Alex said, we can't let you give it up. His longtime girlfriend, the mother of his two children, also said, hey, we can't let you give this up. You've come too far. You've worked too hard, and that helped push him out there to where he was seen by the Royals, and now he has tossed a couple of scoreless innings in his big league career, made two appearances now, and could be one of the nice bright spots, if you will, at least for the summer in Kansas City. And 
all of baseball got to take notice of somebody getting rewarded for sticking to it and working hard and finding his way to achieve his big league dream. His first big league K, that final pitch, came at 95 mile an hour. So this is not like a guy that's, you know, okay, let's give him a flyer. See, this dude is legit. And yeah. I think this, you know, you think about a 174 ERA in AAA before he got the call up from the Royals. Uh, you know, they needed bullpen depth going, uh, going into series against the, the Guardians. But, um, you know, it, it's just a fantastic story. And this is, at the end of the day, this is what we love about the game of baseball. Absolutely is. And that'll wrap us up on three up and three down here. And thus, we have completed the first hour here on From the Diamond. But we got a lot more coming for you. We got more Braves talk. We got more baseball talk. When we come back, we'll take a trip around the big leagues to break down what's happening in the National League. And that is next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now back to more Graham McCauley and From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. I can't confirm. We do, in fact, love baseball here on From the Diamond. This is Sports Radio 92.9, The Game from the Kia Studios. It's Grant McCauley. It's Corey McCartney. Dom Shirosky behind the glass as well. And it's time for us to take our trip around the big league, something we've been doing here each and every week to size up the different divisional races. And we start in the National League, and we'll start in the East and get back into what's going on with the Braves because they're finally stringing wins together here, Corey. And they're able to take back a couple of games in the standings uh, against the Mets over the weekend. But New York still enjoys the biggest divisional lead in Major League Baseball, so there's way more work to be done there. But New York is kind of starting to show maybe some bizarre injuries. We've got Francisco Lindor slamming his finger in a door. We've got Max Scherzer getting bit by a dog and having to put out an official statement that, hey, this is not going to stop me from being back from that injured oblique. Everything's fine here, nothing to see here, move along. Dog bites man's not news, I guess is what Max Scherzer saying. Well, it's not just that, too. It's also them not being thrilled with the working conditions at Dodger Stadium, yes. which, according to one Met, the video room is dingy and smells like rat urine. Now, definitely a New York joke in there and makes you wonder how you can distinctly tell the difference between yeah. rat urine and any other kind of urine. But it has to be experience involved there. I... You know, could be, I, I will say though it's L.A. and it could be artisan rat urine, which would be a completely different thing. And maybe craft. Yeah, it could be that. That could okay. be the next big thing. Well, I don't know that anybody needs that to be a thing, let alone <laughs> whether the Mets or the Dodgers or any other team wants their facility to be known for that or any other type of animal excrement. I guess, and we'll leave it at that. But as far as uh, what's been going on for the New York Mets in the standings, they have been sitting atop the National League East in large part because the Braves haven't been able to get their act together. The Philadelphia Phillies have fired Joe Girardi. That's big news. We didn't talk about that here in three up and three down, but let's get into it here because the Phillies, who have managed to pick up four consecutive wins now uh, after firing Joe Girardi, I believe maybe won that final game with Joe, but anyway, they're unbeaten since firing their manager. And I'm not going to tell you that that wasn't an answer for the Phillies, but I am going to tell you that's not the only answers for a club that is not drafted and developed well, that said they wanted to go out and spend stupid money, and they've definitely accomplished that. They have signed some good players, but you're not going to be able to spend your way out of never being able to develop consistently talent that can come up and help you win at the big league level. That's not how you rebuild a club. The, ta- the roster is flawed, right? And you can't yes. put that on Joe Girardi. I mean, both from a defensive standpoint, the bullpen, their top 10 in runs scored, second in rotation, fan graph or the bullpen is 21st in ERA. They're dead last uh, in defensive runs saved. I think they just needed a fall guy. I mean, it, it, I, this almost paints a picture, too. The fact that they've responded with Rob Thompson as the interim, uh, the bench coach moving over as the interim role. Mm-hmm. 
it almost makes you wonder if Girardi had lost that clubhouse. And Dave Dombrowski, you know, he he didn't hire Joe Girardi. You know, he was hired by the previous regime. Um, he was obviously, you know, he he you know was going to ultimately want to bring in his guy. But Dombrowski said they needed a new voice, but yet they kept it internal. Um, it just seems like a, they went with the the cop out here and went with the fall guy in Girardi, and it certainly makes you wonder like who's going to be next. And I think. You know, it, I would assume at the top of the list has to be Brad Ausmus, right? A guy who has connections to Dombrowski, who Dombrowski hired in mm-hmm. Detroit, who's currently the uh, the A's bench coach, was a deep candidate for the Mets before they ended up hiring Buck Showalter. Um, this is going to be a sought-after job. This is obviously a, a team that's you know wants to be built to win, but again has some serious flaws in this roster. Yeah, and when you think about Dave Dombrowski, who has been around a long time, I think he's a pretty well-respected executive and was brought in to try to start to make some sense of this, but he's not going to be able to get in his DeLorean and go back six years and make the club draft better. You know, And you're not going to fix this by necessarily blowing up your team every two years and trading for prospects either, particularly if you're expecting to win. And you don't go out and sign Bryce Harper in order to do anything like that. You pretty much have committed yourself by getting Harper, by getting Real Muto, and by doing some of the other, getting Zach Wheeler, yep. some of the other moves that they've made from the free agent standpoint that and a trade and extension in the case of Real Muto. You're really in it to win it, but you're offense can't be the only thing that carries your club no matter how many thumpers you put in there their defense is atrocious they do have a couple of good pitchers three or four good pitchers in their starting rotation which is something to build on and around but they've gone out and thrown money at their bullpen and year over year it just doesn't seem to improve altogether that much I mean this is as you said a flawed club and the levels of depth that they have particularly I think this shows on the defensive side of things this is just not a club that feels like it's going to be able to contend with the Braves and now with the New York Mets who have developed a lot of good players and have gone out and they've spent their own amount of stupid money, but their stupid money has paid off at least here in the early returns. I got to think that the Phillies have to feel like they pulled the plug way too early on Gabe Kapler to think about the success that he's had out in San Francisco. And then you turn the page and say, okay, uh, we're going to take a guy who's currently working in media, who the game is a little bit different than the last time he was in a managerial seat. And we're going to plug him in and we're going to have some success. It's not happened. And I think, thinking he was going to be the one to fix the mistakes on this roster was a gigantic misstep. Well, now they've tried two different styles of managers, and apparently neither one of them have worked because neither one of them are yeah. working there anymore. But as you look at this division, it's the New York Mets right now with you know what was coming into Sunday, an eight-and-a-half game lead. The Phillies have won four consecutive games, though. They have you know ma- managed to hold themselves you know at least close to the pack, but ten-and-a-half back as of Sunday's action is really not what the Phillies, you know, where they saw themselves in June when opening day rolled around. And then, of course, you've got the Marlins, who I think have shown at times this year that they're going to be a club that is going to be tough to contend or, or to, you know, knock around the way that maybe you did last year. But otherwise, and as we talked about with the Washington Nationals, a couple of factors lower in the division that might not win it, but might cause some other clubs a little bit of heartburn on their way to trying to win the division with, what, 19 meetings between all of these clubs with one another and a lot of interdivisional baseball still left to be played with a hundred and what five hundred seven games left to go in the season thereabouts. As we move into the central, I think it's gotten kind of interesting there because the Cardinals are getting some really good play from some of their guys. They're tightening up that race and they'd moved to coming into Sunday within a game and a half of the Brewers. Paul Goldschmidt, National League Player of the Month. He was absolutely unconscious with the way he was hitting a year ago. He's looking more like prime Arizona days, Paul Goldschmidt, when he was an MVP contender just about every single season. Some other guys that are contributing to them, in particular Tommy Edmonds' name springs to mind as well. He's a pretty good one. This could actually end up being 
kind of a fun race because the Brewers have started to scuffle just a little bit right about the time the Cardinals seem to be putting it together. They have, and Goldschmidt, I mean, just had that 25-game hit streak snapped on Saturday. Um, you know, the on-base streak, though, at 41 games. During this, uh, Amy currently has a 190 weighted run creative plus. Uh, the, That's the good. Weighted on-base Pretty average, good. the OPS of over 1,000. Both lead the National League. He's just behind Aaron Judge in uh, all those categories in terms of the, the, all of baseball. Um, you mentioned the NL Player of the Month. That's That comes after Nolan Arenado won it the previous month, and um, just a, a really strong offense, and we'll see. I mean, if they're able to kind of come after the Brewers, and I thought this might make your, uh, your your run there as we did three up and three down. But the story of Australian catcher Alex Hall getting the hot the call up from the Brewers was absolutely wild. The Wisconsin uh, Timber Rattlers third string catcher got called into the manager's office, mm-hmm. and he was getting the call up to the majors because they were down to having one catcher on the roster, Omar Navarez, was sick. Uh, the two other on the 40-man were in Durham with AAA. The A catcher was in Pensacola, Florida. They had to get somebody in two hours, and they went with a guy who was an hour and a half away in Alex Hall. And his first thought when he got up there was, man, this food spread is great. That is exactly the kind of thing. And I'm a guy that rode buses in the minor leagues, not as a player, but with players. And I've seen good spreads. I've seen bad spreads. I've seen clubhouses where the spread's simply not there. But that is exactly the kind of thing that someone who's used to minor league life and particularly catchers that hang around with a club and they're, they're guys, you look at every organization and be like, this guy's been with the team for seven, eight, nine years. Well, that's the kind of thing that can happen, particularly with catchers in an organization. And sometimes it's just all about geographically being in the right spot at the right time, and I guess you can chalk it up to better to be lucky than good in this case as well because he got rewarded for all the hard work. You love to see that kind of thing. The, the Jose Quas story got me a little bit more so because I think it had been in the news cycle a little bit bigger, yeah. and he'd come up and really had a great story, but this isn't taking nothing away from a minor league player grinding to make his dream come true, and I don't care what the circumstances are. That guy will be able to say, hey, I was a major league baseball player. And he didn't get in the game, though. That was the only thing that you kind of got a little bit of, you know, yeah. some frustration there. Victor Katarina uh, ended up playing the entire game. But, you know, to go from third in the depth chart and the second rowest along of the organization to the majors within 24 hours is absolutely insane. It definitely is. That's uh, called uh, fast rising, yeah. I guess, if you want to call it that, even if it only lasted for 24 or so hours. Now, we, as we go out west, we've talked about the Dodgers facility a little bit. Well, they have been pretty good at Dodger Stadium by and large. And they are sitting on a nice little lead over the San Diego Padres, though very manageable for the Padres, who continue to win baseball games and keep this thing close. And I think that this is going to be another race that we'll see what the Giants are able to do. But the Padres don't look like they're going to be going away. And that's something that kind of happened to them a year ago. And they've done all of this without Fernando Tatis Jr. They've been getting, I think, some good starting pitching to the point where, as we talked about last week, you Darvish is the biggest name on their pitching staff. He has not been their best pitcher this year. He's not. They're still getting elite pitching. Uh, they're fourth in uh, pitching war. Um, Mackenzie Gore threw six scoreless on Saturday against the Brewers, great. striking out 10, uh, ERA of 150 right now across nearly 50 innings with 57 Ks. He's the third pitcher since 1913 with at least 50 Ks and fewer than 10 runs allowed in their first nine starts. The other two, Tanner Houck in 1920, uh, excuse me, in 2020 and 2021, and then Cy Blanton in 1934 and 35. Um, Vegas says the Cubs' Sai Suzuki is the NL Rookie of the Year favorite. I think it's got to be Mackenzie Gore at this point because Suzuki has faded since that really strong April. Yeah. Um, this Padres offense, by the way, Jerickson Profar's dropped off. Eric Hosmer's have been 18% below league average since May. Manny Machado continues to just He's be raking. a monster. 
Uh, but they have the third weakest hard hit rate, the second fewest barrels. Not encouraging signs as they try to stay afloat, but that pitching has been fantastic. The pitching a lot of times can carry the club, and sometimes it's going to be the offense, and these two are going to trade off, and you're not going to have everything clicking at the same time. I think that might be the story of the 2022 Braves thus far, is if you can ever get all of it going or some semblance of all of it going at the same time, what can this club do? The Padres kind of in that boat as well, and I'm sure they're very much looking forward to getting some kind of a timetable on the return of Fernando Tatis Jr. because that's the kind of difference maker that you can make all the jokes you want about, oh, it's just like making a midseason acquisition. Yeah, it would be. It would be a very big return because he hasn't played for you at all, so you're acquiring him in one way, shape, or form, even just if you activate him from the injured list. The San Francisco Giants, meanwhile, playing 500 ball over the last 10 days, half a dozen games back of the Dodgers. I don't think that they're done yet necessarily, but they're not quite living the charmed life that they were as a club that won well over 100 games a year ago and got that early exit in the playoffs. But this is still a club that I think is dangerous if they're able to figure out a way to put it all together, as we just said. They really saw the highs and lows with rookie Luis Gonzalez in this last week, too. Hours after he was named NL Rookie of the Month on Friday, he hit 368 with a 900 OPS. He was hit by a 93-mile-per-hour fastball on the right shin and uh, tried to stay in the game but ended up leaving. But they've had so many injuries. Brandon Belt, Austin mm-hmm. Slater are both in the IL. Evan Longoria returned Friday after missing some time. Uh, then, you know, the Gonzalez exit. Alex Cobb was stretched with a uh, lower uh, back tightness. It's just they've, they've not been able to get healthy. And I think if you're the Dodgers, that's the one thing is if the Giants aren't healthy and the Padres don't have Fernando Tatis Jr. and you only have a three-game lead in this division, you are absolutely missing out on what is a prime opportunity for you to have been building on something. And the Dodgers, I think, have beaten up on not the weakest schedule in baseball, but a weaker schedule in baseball. And what's funny is I say that, and then I can tell you that they lost five out of six to the Pirates already this year and just got swept at Dodger Stadium. So that is the kind of setback, though, to your point. And when you look at, hey, well, what's this club doing here? Or what's, what are they doing there? And how are they able to take advantage of the schedule? And we talk about that a lot with the Braves and the run that they're in with these 29 games against sub-500 teams. I mean, the Dodgers aren't going to lose a ton of sleep over getting swept in a series, but if it's the Pittsburgh Pirates at home and it's something that hasn't happened in 22 years and you're trying to hold off a team like the Padres, you can't afford to be dropping games like that. And that, unfortunately, was what, where the Dodgers found themselves, and nobody's going to be weeping for them anytime soon because they've been a great team for a while. They spend as a great team, and they will be spending, I'm sure, and looking for ways to make their club better by the time we get to the trade deadline in a couple of months. So that wraps up what's going on in the National League here as we take our look around the big leagues. It's the New York Mets on top in the East. Milwaukee just by a game now over the St. Louis Cardinals in the center, uh, Central rather, and the L.A. Dodgers over the San Diego Padres out west. When we come back, we'll continue our trip around the big leagues as we look at the American League next on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. to Grandma Coley for more from the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. This is from the Diamond. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios on 92.9 The Game. Thanks for making us part of your Sunday. If you like what you've been hearing here on the show, make sure you subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcast. That's where you can find us. Pretty convenient right there. Let's take our trip, Corey, around the big leagues over in the American League side of things and start out with the always hard-fought battleground that is the American League East, and the New York Yankees have been standing tall thus far all season long. They really haven't been challenged by anybody else because the Yankees simply don't lose enough to open the door for anybody else to really climb together uh, or climb to get that close to them. 
And the Toronto Blue Jays, I'd say, are the latest challenger, if you will, as they have managed to win 8 out of 10, make their way up in the standings. But they're still seven and a half games behind the New York Yankees, who are being led by the slugging exploits of Aaron Judge. Not just that. I mean, the starting pitching has just been absolutely ridiculous. If you look at the last five starts, you've had Nestor Cortez throw seven shutout innings. Jamison Tyon flirted with a perfect game through eight one-run innings. Garrett Cole threw seven scoreless with two hits. Luis Severino tossed seven scoreless and allowed one hit, uh, one that could have been deemed an error, and then we may have been talking about another bid for a a, A a no-no from him, too. And then Jordan Montgomery went six six and a third with two earned runs the last time against the Tigers. So they have a 7-4 Fangraph war collectively, 1.3 ahead of anyone else. They have a collective 2-5-0 ERA, which is the best in the majors. Um, And then you mentioned Aaron Judge. I mean, what do you even say about this guy at this point? He's good. Yeah, 21 home runs. I mean, remember, turned down a seven-year, $213.5 million deal that's going to see extremely light if he continues his MVP level production. Um, talk about betting on yourself. I mean, Aaron Judge yep. has been an absolute monster. He has. I mean, we're talking about about a, th- a third of the season is now behind us. He's on pace for 60 home runs, which we're in Yankee pinstripes. That's happened a couple of times. If he joins that club with Ruth and Maris, that would be quite a feather in his cap heading out to free agency as well. And we're also talking about a club that's had you know, not just Babe Ruth, but the Lou Gehrig's and Mickey Mantles. And when you're boasting, perhaps by the time the end of the season gets here, and I know we got a long way to go, and especially in a dead ball year, if we're making a run at 60-something homers and Aaron Judge does that and then goes out on the free agent market, that would be a pretty exciting story. Now, meanwhile, the other half of their, I would say, you know, two titans that they like to have in the middle of that lineup producing prodigious blasts is Giancarlo Stanton. He's been sidelined for a while, but I believe his comeback is right around the corner. Yeah, he's back now. He knows, yeah, yeah. so he knows a little bit about hitting or making a run at 60 home runs because he did that with Miami before ending up in New York and in, in pinstripes a few years ago. So if Aaron Judge needs a little, uh, I'll say, advice, if you will, or a little bit of input and that, a little bit of counsel on making a run like that, because Giancarlo Stanton, I think, got pitched around quite a bit, could have gotten to the 60 home runs, just fell one short. Kind of nice to have a guy like that hanging around. Yeah, as collectively, they've hit an MLB best 79 home runs. 44 of them are of the solo variety. The Braves are actually right there in that uh, solo department, too. But 79 in total, 44 solo. That's more than seven teams have hit in total on the season. The, Bra- the Yankees have more solo home runs than seven teams have hit in total uh, on the season. And it's just, uh, it's just, there's not a lot of holes in this team right now. Maybe you can look at the bullpen and say that they they're not producing at the level they were, and they've had some hits there in terms of injuries. But um, if they're going to get this level of starting pitching and that rotation is that deep, I mean, we're talking about five different guys here who are putting up beyond quality starts. Once you start to get to the postseason, you only need three starting pitchers. How they work those guys into middle relief and whatnot, I mean, this team is just going to be nasty. And you mentioned what the the Jays have been able to on this eight-game winning streak. Um, you know, meanwhile, the Rays lost Wander Franco to the 10-day DL. I, I bring that up because uh, he was in the midst of a slump, but they're already down Brandon Lowe. The Rays have lost 654 days to the uh, injured list this season, Oof. the most in the AL, the third most overall. Last year, they led the majors in days lost with 2,581. They used 61 different players, 38 different pitchers, but none of those were more than 20-game stints in the DL by an offensive player. They're hit hard by offensive injuries this year. 
but still, they're 10 games over 500. Mm-hmm. It's insane at the way they're getting it done. But, um, man, the Yankees are the class of this division. I think question. that speaks to when we talked about, you know, having depth and roster construction. And I think the Rays might do it better than just about anybody else, particularly when you think about the lengths that they have to go to get it done because they're not going to go out there and spend and spend and spend some more for filling holes on this club. They have to be a little bit more strategic in the way that they do that. But to overcome that kind of number of days missed by a number of different players is quite something for Tampa Bay. And they're going to hang around here. And I don't know when the Yankees will come back to earth or if they're going to come back to earth. But you just want to be in a position to be able to pounce when and if that happens. To further illustrate the amount of money spent there, the Cubs have had five more days on the injured list than the Rays have, but the Rays players account for $5.1 million. The Cubs is over $10.1 million. So there you go. The amount of money spent, this team, just they just find a way. They definitely do each and every time. You talked about the Blue Jays. Vladimir Guerrero is off to a nice start this month. He's already hit three home runs, and the Jays climbing, winning 9 out of 10 to at least get within, you hope, striking distance. Maybe not necessarily right now of the Yankees because they're still seven and a half, eight games back uh, pending the outcome of the action on Sunday. But you want to stay relevant in the wild card race as well. And this is something that now we're into the month of June. You can kind of start to peek at the wild card standings just a little bit and see exactly what you feel like is no doable for clubs or how exactly you match up against other clubs that may not win their division but have playoff aspirations. And this is the time where even teams like the Braves, who have been trying to chase down the Mets, can at least start to keep an eye on that and see how they line up in the wild card race, which is, you know, worth monitoring at this point. May not have been in the, at the end of April or halfway through May. So they lost two or three this weekend to the, the Twins. They had that eight-game winning streak, which included four straight over the Angels, a sweep of the White Sox. Uh, now they get the Royals for three, the Tigers for three, four versus the Orioles before they see the Yankees again on June 17th. So some time to build some momentum, uh, but that's going to be the measuring stick. They're three and six against the Yankees this season. Uh, how are they going to perform in that series? Because it doesn't matter how long of a winning streak you're going to have. If you can't perform well against the team that's ahead of you and the one that you have a chance to actually eat into that division lead in those head-to-head matchups, uh, that's going to feel like a massive, massive series. And certainly having George Springer back and in full rhythm here, 49 career leadoff home runs for him of his 49th this past weekend. Alex Manoa continues to perform at a high level. But um, the Jays have got to get into a mode where they're able to to eat into the Yankees' lead by taking them down. Well, the Blue Jays have a a four-and-a-half game lead on a wild-card spot as of right now. Tampa Bay Rays right behind them at four games out. And as you look at those records and in that division, and we always talk about some club's going to win it and the other couple of clubs are going to clog up the wild-card picture for literally the Central and the West teams that hope to find their way into the playoffs. That, again, looks to be the case this year in the American League East. In the Central, not much has changed here week over week. The Twins doing enough to hold off Cleveland. And the White Sox still haven't found any consistency to climb in the standings. This just looks like a club that in, on some days can't get out of its own way and in other ways just can't find a way to do anything close to what people were expecting out of this team when the season started. The Twins, I mentioned, just won that series against the Blue Jays, but they just wrapped up a 15-game run that was against only the Royals and the Tigers, the two teams in the basement of this division, and they went 8-7, and seven, uh, including losing five uh, the last three games of a five-game series against the Tigers. Yeah, not convincing. So, no, not at all. And you know, from the White Sox standpoint, I mean, this team just continues to get beaten up. Vince Velasquez was put in the 15-day IL with a, gro- a groin injury. They currently have seven players in the IL, including Tim Anderson, Aloy Jimenez, Lance Lynn. They're all expected back this month. But um, they have spent the fourth most on IL players behind the Red Sox, Mets, Nationals. Over $14 million they've sent, spent on guys who are currently not playing. They did get Kendall Graveman back. Dylan Cease is back. 
Um, Jose Abreu hit a 446-foot home run at the Trop this last week, so something positive happened for this team. But man, it's just uh, they, they've been a, they've been a disappointment. I know they're still you know within shouting distance uh, there in the division. You know they're currently you know five games back. The Guardians have kind of have gone past them uh, now, a half game ahead of them in the standings. But um, but this White Sox team, first and foremost, just has to find a way to get healthy. Yeah, they were able to knock off the Rays as you mentioned on Sunday. So perhaps that's something that after winning back-to-back games against Tampa Bay would be a little something to get this White Sox team started, but it's a curious, curious bunch, and injuries have played a, a big role in this season and why it is this way. They have not had Lance Lynn all year long. That's a huge loss to their pitching staff. Any amount of time without Tim Anderson is a detriment to this club, and slugging outfielder Eloy Jimenez, you talked about, he has not really been a factor for them either. Luis Roberts playing great. Some other guys are making some contributions where they can, but it simply has not lived up to the expectations that a lot of folks had. So it's the Minnesota Twins holding off the Cleveland Guardians and the Chicago White Sox right now in that central race. Now, as we go out west, my, how things can change from the time we started doing this show about a month ago. Corey, we were talking about the surprising and exciting Los Angeles Angels and what they were doing in the American League West. And now, if you take a look out there, you're not going to like what you see if you're an Angels fan. And it has nothing to do with Mike Trout embroiled in controversy about fantasy football It has everything to do with losing 11 consecutive games. As of Sunday, they lost again to the Phillies. Bryce Harper hit a game-tying grand slam in the eighth inning. The Phillies scored three more in the ninth inning and knocked off the Angels, who seemed to be on the way to snapping a 10-game losing streak. Now, we were talking about an 11-game winning streak that the Houston Astros went on a couple of weeks ago. That is how you flip the standings. You win 11 in a row. You have the team that you're chasing lose 11 in a row. And I know, I know, I know. We can't just keep saying it's early, it's early. But things like this do happen in a Major League Baseball season. You can't count on it happening. But every year you'll go look at some race where, hey, remember when this was happening and then it got flipped on its ear? The American League West, I present to you as Exhibit A. <laughs> and the Angels, I mean, it's it's dumbfounding, right? I mean, they've dropped, they've dropped 11 straight, 15 of 18. No Syndergaard was roughed up last year, just two and a thirds in a, in a 9-1 loss at Yankee Stadium. Mike Trout is hitting 93% below league average in this stretch. It's been the third worst offense uh, overall. The and Angels worst of his career stretch. of yeah, any stretch. Yeah, and Shohei Otani, now they're, they're wondering if he's tipping pitches. Joe Madden says as much after Thursday's doubleheader loss to the Yankees. Otani allowed three home runs on eight hits with four Four earned runs. He struck out two and lasted just three innings. He got his first swinging strike, his first swinging strike, 54 pitches into that game, and his six-seven swinging string rate is the swinging strike rate. Excuse me, is the second worst of his career. Only one worse than that was when he first came back, his first outing for Tommy John surgery. So um, there is a problem in LA right now with the Angels, and you have to be, you know, something has to change there. And obviously, you know, having. The stars not performing like stars is going to be a big deal here. Not having Anthony Rendon, we talked about him a week or two ago, his uh, now being on the IL, I think that's a big piece for this. This team is just out of sorts. I mean, they looked playoff bound, and the expanded format kind of provided hope that maybe there was a buffer there, but they have been losing ground uh, with a, a vengeance. Mike Trout, 0 for 26 with a walk in the last six, seven games, seven games now. And you're talking about 11-game losing streak, so Mike Trout has not been... You know, hey, it's Mike Trout against the whole other team, which it seemed to be kind of the way that everything looked when you talked about the Angels at any depth because it never seemed like he had any help. But, you know, it seemed like he had quite a nice little crew running around him. And, you know, Shohei Otani is one of the biggest pieces that you're going to need something out of. So they're going to have to figure out that tipping pitches business if that's what's happening. But this is at any time during the year to lose 11 games in a row when you've been a first-place club. 
and to watch another team that maybe started slow to win 11 games in a row this close together. This is just one of those crazy, quirky, and I don't know, just completely unique things about a Major League Baseball season that perhaps other sports don't, especially I mean, if you look at the NFL, you play 16 games. Baseball, you play 162 times. So you think about losing 11 games in an NFL season, your year's over. You're done. You're cooked. It's a bad year, and people are getting fired. Losing 11 games in a row in a Major League Baseball season can also get people fired, maybe not in May and June, but this has not been a good look for the Los Angeles Angels. No, and especially a team with this much talent. I mean, I think that's the, that's the most confounding team here. Is that it's not, we're not talking about a club that got hot early in the season and you wonder if they have staying power. This was a team that was, you know, has two of the best players on the planet, uh, you know, in, in, in Trout and, and Otani, and then they got, you know, we're getting guys coming out of the woodwork here with their production. Um, it's, you know, this Astros team, though, that has been able to pull away from them. I mean, you know, what they've been able to do with Jeremy Pena replacing Carlos Correa. You yeah. mentioned Jordan Alvarez. Um, I do want to say la- elsewhere in this division, though, Julio Rodriguez has had such a ridiculous May. hit six homers, AL Rookie of the Month, nine multi-hit games with at least three hits in May. He's the 21st player, uh, the first player 21 or younger with as many in a month since Manny Machado in May of 2013. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that between Pena and Rodriguez, the AL Rookie of the Year is coming out of the AL West. I think that is a pretty sound argument between those two guys right now, and maybe there'll be somebody that comes and pushes their way into that picture, but in the early returns, and I know a lot of people were excited about Julio Rodriguez and were hoping that he'd be joining what should be a, a much better Mariners team. They have been dreadful this year. Injuries have hurt them. Poor performances hurt them. They just have not been able to figure out a way to climb in those American League West standings. So as we wrap things up in the AL, it is again the Yankees on top in the East. and the Central, it's the Twins. And out West, it's the Houston Astros with a very comfortable lead over the free-falling Los Angeles Angels. When we come back, we'll wrap up this edition of From the Diamond as we look at what's ahead for the week to come for the Atlanta Braves. And we'll do that next on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Talking Braves and beyond. Baseball. With From the Diamond, Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back inside the Kia Studios. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. And we are wrapping up this edition of the show. Again, if you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast to From the Diamond. And also, you can follow me on Twitter at Grant McCauley. You can follow Corey at Corey J. McCartney. So let's take a look ahead as the Braves come home from this road trip where they lost a series in Arizona, they won a series in Colorado. They've got a homestand after an off day on Monday. And, Corey, we're talking about 17 consecutive days with games for the Atlanta Braves, so that's a nice little streak to break. And then they'll have the Oakland Athletics in town. We'll see them too often. Two games beginning on Tuesday, and we're going to see Matt Olson kind of reunited with the club that traded him away to the Atlanta Braves. There's going to be multiple reunions here. So let's talk about former Braves, yes. Christian Bethancourt, uh, who's coming off of a two-run home run off Justin Verlander that he hit this past week, his, long, his first in 2,118 days. And then, of course, Christian Pache, who is going to be back, uh, obviously traded away as part of that Matt Olson deal. His offensive struggles have been well-known yep. uh, among all players with at least 100 ABs. That's 279 players. He is next to last with 33 way to run creative plus. But I will add to that, he's also had the worst luck of any other hitter. The difference between his actual average of 169 and his expected average is the highest of any hitter in the game, so kind of hold that out there. But um, certainly this is a, a struggling uh, Oakland team without question. They are 29th 
uh, in war uh, in terms of the offense. The pitching staff, a little bit better than that, uh, 21st. They have a guy who I think is going to be one of the hottest names on the trade market in Frankie Montas yep. that you're going to see a lot of teams have an interest in. Unfortunately, he is not scheduled to, fit, to face off against the Braves in this series, but um, an opportunity here for the pitching matchups for the Braves to roll out Kyle Wright, who we talked about earlier, and Ian Anderson against a really struggling offense. Yeah, it'll be Cole Irvin on the mound, the lefty for the Oakland Athletics facing Kyle Wright in Tuesday's opener at Truist Park, and it's a brief two-game series, and then you'll see Ian Anderson take the ball against Jared Koenig, and again, we've talked about the Oakland Athletics a little bit here and there as we've done our around the big leagues and sized up the American League West, but they've really been a non-factor this year, and it's been the source of a lot of consternation for fans of the Oakland club because they have not been showing up in droves. In fact, they've been doing the exact opposite this year as Oakland took some very notable steps back from where they had been in years past, where much like the Rays, and obviously Billy Bean has a movie about it at this point, he's found ways to win over time, but you know, the Oakland Athletics are in kind of one of the down cycles right now, and I don't know that how many times can you do that to the fans and expect it to not really kind of resonate as years go on more and more and more each time when you watch great players establish themselves and then they have to go somewhere else. Yeah, I can't. I mean, it has to be a frustrating experience, and it has to feel like you know Groundhog Day for this fan base. That yeah. every time somebody gets built up, you you go into this era with you know Chapman and Olsen as your guys at the corner, and think, okay, we got we have the foundations here. We have some p- a pitching staff. Alex Manoa, you know, who is you know. It, it, doing things. It was, they've had uh, Frankie Montas. They've traded away or multiple. Sean Manaya. I was thinking Sean Manaya. I'm yep. sorry, I apologize for that. Sean Manaya, who's now doing things with the Padres. Uh, Montas, who I think everyone again mm-hmm. expects to be in a different uniform by season's end. Ramon Laureano is still uh, performing for them. You know, he's a, at this point, he's he's been the, really their only guy who's hit uh, better than 8% above league average. Starling Marte had a nice rebound season for them, and now he's doing that for the for Mets. Mets. So, I mean, it's just like every time they build somebody up, they end up going off somewhere else. Um, but you're going to see some familiar faces, as we said here. And for Matt Olson, it's going to be time for a reunion. Yeah, it should be quite interesting. Obviously, Braves fans didn't have a long time to get to know Christian Pache. We talked about him for a long time after he signed as an international free agent a number of years ago and found his way into one of the more fascinating pressed-into-duty stories that you'll find of any young player in the 2020 playoffs when Adam Duvall got injured and Christian Pache was forced into pretty much everyday duty at that point as the Braves went on to lose the NLCS to the Los Angeles Dodgers that year. But for Pache, there's no question about the glove. I've still seen the highlights. He's still making the catches. You, you mentioned, you know, offensively speaking, not lucky, not producing. Both of those things can be true. And it, really the early returns of this trade, it's silly to decide, you know, who's where right now. But Matt Olson starting to swing the bat pretty well. It should be interesting to see as he matches up against the Oakland Athletics for the first time in his young career. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to roll in after, and as you look at what the Pirates have done recently, and we talked about it on this show, they swept the Dodgers in Los Angeles. So I know it's a four-game series, and four-game series, as we've discovered, are hard to sweep, but you still have to look at the Pirates as a club that if you are not firing on all cylinders or as close as you can, you can't overlook this team. You can't look past this series. They've already taught that lesson to the L.A. Dodgers not too long ago, so the Braves, I'm sure, are going to be well aware as they send Max Fried to the mound in the opener of that series, looking to establish themselves and continue to hopefully take advantage of where they are on the schedule against a club they should be beating, but it's not on paper, and we've seen this. 
a name that everyone should focus in on this series from the Pirates' standpoint. We all know Josh Hader, A.J. Mincher, the top two relievers in the NL, but the number four guy on that list in terms of war is David Bednar, who has a 138 ERA, a 12-12 K per nine. He has thrown 103 curveballs, Grant, and batters are hitless against Ooh. that pitch with a 42% whiff rate. Wow. So David Bednar is a name you should absolutely focus in on uh, in terms of what the uh, the Pirates are going to bring to the table in this series. They certainly have some young offensive pieces, some guys that I know pl- people are excited about. Cabrian Hayes is a, is a foundational piece for yeah, them. Yeah, he's a nice player. Yeah, nice player, you know, kind of along that Jazz Chisholm, you know, kind of uh, productivity and exciting young athletic guy. But uh, there, there are pieces here, and it's just not – it's just, I mean, just like Oakland, it's a team that, you know, is its best days are, you know, a little bit in the past here and a few pieces that you'll look at for future, you know, in terms of the guys they could build around. But um, I'll say it again, David Bednar, a name you should focus in on this series. Yeah, and every club is going to have those kinds of names and those kinds of players. The problem and the reason why they end up being in one of these down cycles is they just don't have enough of these players or they're forced to trade them away before they need to. I mean, not long ago we were talking about, hey, look at Josh Bell exploding onto the scene, looking like an all-star first baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates who could, by the way, use an all-star first baseman He's been with the Nationals for a while now. He's still performing pretty well, and it's just one of the many examples of you know, players that just don't stick around in some of these clubs, and particularly the couple of clubs that the Braves are going to be seeing you know, coming up as they welcome the Oakland Athletics to town and then the Pittsburgh Pirates to town as well. Another four-game series. The Braves have wrapped up a four-game series against the Colorado Rockies with their first sweep of the Rockies at Coors Field in a four-game set in the history between these two clubs, which dates back to 1993. And there was a time, especially early on, where the Braves just flat out didn't lose to the Rockies when that team was founded. But times have changed, and going to Coors Field can be a real challenge for any club, for any pitching staff. You hope that the offense gets to enjoy it, but your pitching staff usually gets stressed out, has to go through a lot. These were three, or excuse me, four very different games for the Braves, at least three different styles. You had the old-fashioned blowout Coors Field special and the opener for the Braves, Back-to-back extra inning games, including a game that was a shutout into the ninth inning. Then a 1-1 game goes to extras in Saturday's action. And then a nail-biter 8-7 victory on Sunday to wrap things up. But we got to see Ronald Acuna Jr. enjoying himself at Coors Field with a four-hit day. A lot of good things to take from it. And I don't know that there is a better feeling than getting that four-game sweep and getting over 500 for the first time in a minute for the Atlanta Braves in 2022. I will say, though, I'm, it's, it's a continuation of what's been an issue for Charlie Morton, which is early inning struggles for him. I mean, he has an over 8 ERA in the first inning, 6-3-0 in the second inning, and then it drops to a sub-2 in the in the third innings. And what happened today? He gives up three uh, – it happened Sunday. He gives up three earned runs in the, in the uh, first inning, three earned runs in the second inning, uh, you know, ends up getting through, uh, you know, f- five innings there. Excuse me, four of those runs were earned. Uh, but, you know, but just they, they got to him again early. Uh, the, the curveball was working. The fastball wasn't. The cutter was just not at all productive for him as the, in terms of uh, what it's been for him of late. So another of those weird starts for Morton, who's kind of finding himself uh, consistently this year, having to feel his way through the, the early struggles within starts. Yeah, and that's been a big story for the Braves. And would you believe that by winning on Sunday and pushing this winning streak the Braves are on, their season-high five-game winning streak, to a four-game sweep with the Rockies and over 500 for the first time since the third game of the season when Kyle Wright picked up his first win of the year. So way back then, we were talking about, man, this could be the year of Kyle Wright. Well, a lot's happened in the 10 starts he's made since then, but it's taken that long for the Braves to get themselves back over 500. Again, it hadn't happened since the first week 
of the season, which is way back on April the 9th. So you bring home a four-game sweep in Colorado. You lose a series in disappointing fashion to the Arizona Diamondbacks. But, Corey, I would look at a 5-2 and two road trip. If you told me that's what you're going to get when you go out there, that I would imagine the Braves and most Braves fans are going to be taking, right? Yeah, and without question. And when we talked about, you know, what the offense was capable of, uh, what the offense was able to do within this series, and again, it, as we talked about in our first segment here, uh, it was a weird series from the end. It opened with offense, and then you had some, you know, some pitching predicated matchups in between that ended up going into extra innings, uh, and then another offensive showcase uh, on Sunday. Adam Duvall, who we've talked about, ended up having a double and a triple in this game. Yeah. Uh, you know, Matt Olson homers, Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, ends his homerless drought. So a lot of good things happen within this offense. Uh, Michael Harris did end up having his uh, hit streak snapped, uh, but a, a, you know, a, a nice day from Adam Duvall, a nice day from, uh, from Matt Olson, and you know, Austin Riley continues to, to hit well on this, this run as well. Four for five, Ronald Acuna Jr. went uh, in the series finale here. So uh, I would say uh, he is uh, probably pretty close to 100% right now. I think he's probably feeling pretty good, and Coors Field is a place where you love to see Ronald Acuna Jr. take a big swing. He did that in breaking a month-long homerless drought, his first one since way back in early May off Corbin Burns. This one, 112 miles an hour off the bat, 441 feet, and I hope that nobody was sitting in the seat where that ball landed because it was absolutely scalded. And we're Ronald well over 300 now, pushing the OPS to, I believe, over 900 at this point. Also stole his 10th base of the season already, so he's hitting homers, he's stealing bases, he's playing right field. Those are things that on my checklist of is Ronald Acuna Jr. doing Ronald Acuna Jr. things, those are all ones I'm very happy to check off each and every game. Yeah, he's hitting 313 now. The OBP is 408. The slug is 475. 145, way to run create a plus. Again, 100 is that minimum threshold yeah. uh, for an, an average major league hitter. He's at 145, uh, three home runs, 10 stolen bases uh, in 120 plate appearances. So uh, this is that production that you want from Ronald Acuna Jr. Now it's just, I mean, we're just, it's the same conversation we've been having for the better part of a month now. Yeah. At what point? are the handcuffs going to come off and we get to see this guy out there every day? Well, he's got to get through some nagging injuries at times, too, and those have been question marks that I think have dragged it out a little bit longer than anybody, including Ronald, probably wants to have the conversation about will I or won't I play on this day? And this was a game where the Braves were able to jump out to an early lead with a three spot in the first inning. Charlie Morton, as you mentioned, struggled, immediately gave those three runs back, but the Braves got a huge answer in the second inning in the form of a three-run homer by Matt Olson, who, again, is continuing to show signs of starting to put that the batted ball profile that you see into some of the batted ball results. And this one, a big three-run homer to dead center field, was a very needed blast from Matt Olson. And another one with runners on base, you're starting to see that perhaps be a trend that's going to be moving in the right direction for him. As you mentioned, Adam Duvall had a multi-hit game. That adds to the two-run homer that he hit to help to pad the, uh, to pad the Braves' lead in the Saturday win all good things to see. Charlie Morton did get hit by a line drive in this game as well, and that was something that caused a lot of concern early on. But he got through five innings, gave up three in the first, only one after that, struck out eight batters. There are some, I guess, pluses and minuses that you'll take from the start with Charlie. Number one, I'm glad he's healthy. Number two, the strikeouts look good. It just He wasn't commanding early. It just seemed like the first inning, it was just not having the degree of just being as sharp as he wanted to be, as crisp as he wanted to be. And I thought the strike zone, he got squeezed a little bit, but I can't put it all on that. you got to execute. you got to make pitches. you got to make adjustments to what you're getting. He had 18 uh, swings and misses on the day, uh, 10 of those on the curveball. And I mentioned the ineffectiveness with the cutter. He threw uh, 12 of them. He got three swings. Uh, none of them were whiffs and ended up getting away from that pitch and was a little bit more focused on using that, that curveball, the four-seamer, and uh, mixing in the sinker as well. 
well. So uh, again, early struggles with him, but he was able to get through it and able to get you know to get to put the team in position to win. He'll obviously, end up coming up uh, with the series sweep, a rare one as you mentioned mm-hmm. in Colorado. So um, still a lot to be happy about. I've, I've, you know, from a, a pitching standpoint, what they got in totality in this series. Obviously, the 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 gem with Max Fried. Yep. I think. When we t- when we talk about Max Fried's season, I feel like we're going to be going back to that game and getting that level of you know pitching from him over that uh, eight innings like he delivered in Colorado. I mean that's going to be a tentpole uh, part of uh, Max Fried's season. And we always had looked at these different moments throughout the season, thinking is that the win? Is that the performance? Is that the hit? Is is that the whatever it is that gets you feeling like hey the Braves are going to go on a roll here? Well now they won five consecutive games, so you can start to feel a little bit more confident about. Are these things starting to come in bunches as opposed to being isolated events thus far? But yeah, Max Fried coming up big helps set the tone for this Rocky series. Losing two out of three in the desert doesn't sting quite as bad when you turn around getting not only your first series sweep of the season, because keep in mind the Braves have not won three games in a row until they got on this run, but a four-game series sweep, very rare, and the Braves have not gotten one of those against the Rockies. And this is the kind of thing that you hope will give you that momentum as you come home. You get to enjoy a day off. That is going to feel good, I think, for everybody to maybe sit back, put their feet up for a minute, and then get back to work against a couple of clubs in which the Braves should be able to hopefully win a couple of more series as they come home to Truist Park. I think when you win in Colorado, it's it's easy to put an emphasis on offensive showcases and and get a little bit too excited about it because it is Denver and because it's it's it sets itself up for big offensive numbers. But the fact that they got the wins of the manner in which they did, the middle especially games. that middle games. Yeah. I think that's why this is such a positive run for them. It's not that you went out in Colorado and you slugged your way to victories. It's those middle games that I think are the real key ones. Yeah, those are the kind of games that if you can win them anywhere, you'll take them, and the Braves were able to win them in what I would say is hostile territory and under circumstances or whatever you want to call the extra inning gimmick is in which it hasn't really worked out for them over the course of the history of that rule. But that will wrap us up here. On From the Diamond for this week, as always, we appreciate you making us part of your Sunday here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And, of course, you need to subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts. For Corey McCartney, for our producer, Dom Shirosky, we appreciate you joining us here. And we will catch you next week here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.